Welcome to the Semicolon Club podcast. Funny name, serious podcast. In each episode, we focus on topics relevant to those living with colon cancer. It is our goal to inspire and encourage you during your fight and to provide hope throughout your journey. The show is not just for patients, but for survivors, caregivers, family, and friends as you navigate this journey together. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us for today's Semicolon Club podcast. We are so honored to have with us Mr. Lewis Joseph. He is an oncology counselor at the Bruno Cancer Center here in Birmingham at St. Vincent's Hospital. Lewis, welcome. Thank you for having me. We want to hear about all of the support groups and all of the fun happenings you have going on there at the Bruno Cancer Center. I know that um, in talking with some folks, y'all really have a lot of programs that you offer to the cancer patients and families here in the community. And if you don't mind sharing with us those resources and how to get involved. Well, we're very blessed and fortunate to have here at the Bruno Cancer Center the most cancer support programs for our patients and families of any other hospital in the state of Alabama. We have, for starters, we have a general cancer support group, and that is for all different cancer types. We do have others that are site specifics, but the general support group is wonderful in that it allows patients to meet other patients with a different kind of cancer than their own. It also um, includes family members, spouses, significant others, and the education that goes on at that particular meeting is a little bit overwhelming at times because so many patients are willing to share their information For example, things that work well versus things that don't work well for them. If they are having nutritional issues, we have on staff the only oncology certified dietitian in the state of Alabama, and she is a very valuable resource for not just the patients, but especially the families and caregivers. And next we have a breast cancer support group. In fact, this particular group is the longest running breast cancer support group in the state of Alabama. It actually got started back in the 80s, late 80s, and there were some individual patients who were from different hospitals that inquired nurses and myself if we would facilitate a gathering for them, but they did not want to be affiliated with any particular hospital at the time. So we actually met at the Birmingham Botanical Gardens. We started Birmingham Zoo, and when the weather got a little bit cold, we moved across the street to the Birmingham Botanical Gardens where we met for about eight years. And now we are back meeting face-to-face and in person after COVID at the Birmingham Botanical Gardens. That group of women ranges in age from the 30s up to the 80s, which we're really pleased with. This is a smaller, intimate group of women. Usually we have between eight and I would say 14 participants. 
but it's open anytime to any woman dealing with breast cancer. We have actually had two men who have visited the group before who were diagnosed with breast cancer. That's not such a rarity anymore. We found out that 1% of all men may be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. So we're glad that we have a support program for men as well. That's great. I was going to ask if you ever had any men attend. So that's um, because you're right. That is something that um, that we are seeing, you know, seeing a little more of, it seems like. So that's that's wonderful that you have that um, that group. You said the 80s. So did you did I understand you correctly? You helped facilitate starting that way back then. So you've you've been here in this role for a long time. I have been doing what I'm doing for over 40 years. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yes. yes. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, tell us about, so, so that's a general support group and a breast cancer specific. What other types do you guys offer? Okay. We also have a prostate cancer support group and it is also the longest running prostate cancer support group in the state. It started um, as a community service open to all patients with prostate cancer at any hospital in the area. And we have grown over the years and now we have helped other hospitals to establish their own support networks um, for prostate cancer patients. They wow. all, all of our support groups meet once per month on a given day and time. The next group that I want to mention is one of my favorites, and I know I shouldn't have favorites, but I, and this is a head and neck cancer support, support group for people with oral and head and neck cancers. Um, it's, it comes under the umbrella of a national network called Spunk. Okay. And Spunk is a wonderful resource in that nationally they put together every month a newsletter. And I'm not talking about just a one pager. It's usually oh. six, six pages to eight pages. And it's full of wonderful medical information about the research and all of the up-to-date treatment modalities that are available for head and neck cancer patients. But the special thing about this is that most times many of the oral head and neck cancer patients may undergo some radical surgical procedure mm -hmm. in addition to their radiation and or chemo treatments. Mm -hmm. We also have the availability, of, as I mentioned earlier, of our um, oncology dietitian to come to our meetings to um, offer eating tips, dietary tips, things that are more soothing to the patient's throat, esophagus, and belly. So there's a lot of wonderful information that can be gained by attending this support group. That sounds great. The next group is the Leukemia and Lymphoma Support Group. And under that umbrella, there are four illnesses that are covered. The leukemias, the lymphomas, the multiple myelomas, and the Hodgkin's uh, disease. The, the most wonderful thing about this group is that so many of our participants have had not just a single transplant, but I have two patients who have 
had a single transplant, one patient that's had two transplants, another patient who has had three, and most wow. recently we have a patient who has had four transplants. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yep. The wonderful dynamic about this particular program is that the Leukemia Lymphoma Society of Alabama mm -hmm. is forever offering patient services and patient aid, especially in the way of financial aid. Yeah. This, I, wish I, I wish I had this opportunity for all of our support programs and for all different cancers, but I don't. Mm -hmm. but, but under this umbrella, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society will offer assistance financially for transportation. They also will pay for some chemotherapeutic agents, some radiation therapy. And the one thing that I'm the most pleased with is they'll help pay um, a patient's co-payments, which is almost unheard of. Yes, it is. And the wonderful thing also about this project is that they offer to pay for one item that is not typically paid for by a patient's insurance. They pay for blood cross-matching fees. Really? And all of these patients have what we call a blood type of cancer. So it's wonderful to be able to offer these financial resources in addition to all of the educational resources. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society has pamphlets and brochures for every one of these four illnesses that's a wonderful aid for patients and their families. That's wonderful. And my dad is actually um, going through treatment for multiple myeloma right now. So that's, that's very interesting to me, just, um, you know, from a personal personal perspective. Yes. And there's a 1-800 number that we could provide for you. Um, if they'll just contact me later, I can give you that as well for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Wonderful. And, and they provide this money ongoing, this financial assistance is ongoing for the patients and their families. Wow, that's great. I guess the great resource there. Yes. Um, my next group that I want to mention is called our caregiver support group because most people think of cancer support groups primarily to support patients in patient care. Well, we went one step beyond that about uh, maybe 12 years ago now. A lot of our family members who were coming to the patient care support groups mentioned one day that they wish that they had a group just for themselves. Well, we made that. And so we instituted our first caregiver support group. And there are many challenges that caregiving involves. First of all, there are a lot of people who are not what we call natural caregivers. But <laughs> this I understand. <laughs> yep. But many times are in a position in their families to just automatically become a caregiver. So we try to offer them caregiving tips because being a primary caregiver in your own personal home may be something that you had never planned on or planned for. We have come in, we have social workers, we have ministers, we have attorneys, and we have nurses and therapists that sometimes visit our group meetings, that they can offer all of the different perspectives of care 
that family members may need to know. That's, that's wonderful. <clears throat> very, very, very good information. We, um, uh, this has been uh, right at a year uh, that we've been dealing with this for the second time, but this uh-huh. time, you know, m- much more serious just with the, um, um, a broken bone was involved and that's how we realized it was recurrence. And yes. so we're thrust into a completely different caregiving situation. Um, and you know what, it's given me, it's given me a deeper understanding and appreciation for what, what our caregivers go through. Um, you know, and I'm not even the primary caregiver in this case, it's my mom, but just, it's really opened my eyes. So the fact that you have this group, I need to know when that is. And my mom and I are going to come down there. (laughs) Um, This is a wonderful, wonderful resource that, that is really not, um, it's really not offered anywhere else in Birmingham. Correct. Correct. Some wonderful exchange of information and education takes place at that meeting. That's, that's great. That is, that is great. Are there, um, are there any other groups that you have? Yep. The The one that I want to mention next is our bereavement support group, because many times our patients and family members get very close to our nursing staff and our physicians and our other employees. And many times they say, well, my husband or my wife is now deceased, but I really miss coming to the Bruno Cancer Center because you guys are like my friends and family. Yeah. So we established one of the very first hospital-based bereavement support programs many years ago. And it's a smaller group. It's usually uh, between, I would say, four and eight individuals who come and they share information about how they're coping with the losses that they've encountered. Uh-huh. We have had an attorney, a local attorney here in town, who was first a medical social worker who then put himself through law school. We invite him to come to every one of our support programs, including the bereavement group, every year to talk about what they need to know about taking care of business. And he mentioned in the very first talk that he did for us years ago that there were three documents that every patient and family, despite any illness, that they need to have in place. And those three documents were a living will, a will, and the power of attorney. So every year, as you may know, sometimes the Alabama state laws are subject to change or being updated. So we're thrilled that he volunteers to come to us every year and give us the talk about what has changed and what we need to do and how we need to do. Wow. That's, that's very, that's, that's just really good, solid, um, solid advice right there. I, I really uh, appreciate that you do that for all of these groups. That that's just really smart, but it's also things that folks don't think about when they're in the throes of you know a family member going through a cancer treatment. That's that's kind of the last thing on your mind. So um, that's wonderful. Well, you know, just a cancer diagnosis alone can be overwhelming, but then it's also very new territory for a lot of patients as well as their families to have to go through an experience. 
and they never know what challenges they may come across. So for us to at least in advance that these are issues that you can address and you can take care of is a wonderful offering. The interesting thing too, we have found out that there are patients and family members who will each other that mm -hmm. the time to take care of this kind of business is when you are feeling good and feeling well and do it, not when you're not well or feeling forced to do it. Absolutely. So that has proven very positive for so many of our patients and families. That's, that's really, that's really good advice. And you're right. It, it, the time to take care of it is not when people are laying, laying flat on their back and that's the last thing they want to have to deal with. So that's just good, just good, solid advice there. Yes. Um, the next project I want to mention is that we here at St. Vincent's at the Bruno Cancer Center established the first camp for adults in the U.S. Camp Bluebird really? has, yep, Camp Bluebird has been around for about 35 years, and I was very fortunate to have three oncology volunteers that worked with me back in the 80s, and one day we were having our little luncheon meeting, and I mentioned to them that I was trying to put together a proposal for an adult cancer camp. And they got all excited about it and they were offering to help volunteer. And so we were able to secure funding from the Telephone Pioneers of America at the time that was the largest volunteer organization with South Central Bell. And <laughs> well, I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> yep, yep. And they have stayed involved with us now for over 30 years as volunteers, and they financially support our projects as well. And we were looking for a name for our camp, and we were deciding about the agenda, and we were going to offer education and support. We were going to offer arts and crafts, and we were going to offer anything that a patient could do to incorporate fun back into their living because so many times cancer becomes such a serious event that a patient loses the activities and the fun in their living that they used to engage and enjoy. So we found out that one of the activities that the telephone pioneers engaged in was making bluebird houses to secure and preserve the Eastern Bluebird in the U.S. So we adopted that as one of our arts and crafts, and we just thought that was a very positive and uplifting name, so we named our program Camp Bluebird. The interesting thing about that project is that now at every camp, all of our campers and our counselors get to make a Bluebird house that they get to take home with them and hang on their trees and their own home yards. So that's a constant reminder of where they've been with Camp Bluebird. One of the wonderful dynamics about camp is that we allow patients to come to camp for two nights and three days. 
And if there's a large risk involved because we don't always know what every patient has been dealing with at home. So we assign a counselor to every patient. And we also have a camp nurse that is there to make sure, and she's the, usually an oncology nurse mm -hmm. that is very knowledgeable about oncologic needs of cancer patients. So that should they have a concern that it happens while we're at camp, it can be addressed immediately. I'm blessed over the last 35 years with Camp Bluebird because our camp started off, first started funding our program, we invited, we hand selected and invited just 12 cancer patients to go to camp for two nights and three days. And now our camp has grown to over 150 participants. Wow. Yep. And I want to brag a little bit because Camp Bluebird is the only project from St. Vincent's Hospital that has ever gone nationwide. And I got to become the marketing manager for Camp Bluebird. And I got to travel all over the country and help establish camps. And we at one time had 35 camps in over 22 states. That's phenomenal. It was a very fun project that was started and initiated right here in Podunk, Birmingham, Alabama at yeah. St. Vincent's Hospital. That I, yeah. I didn't know that I, I am learning, you know, I, I know some about these things you're talking about, but I'm learning so much of just the, the backstory here. Um, but I did not know that, that that was something that y'all were able to, to take nationwide. And oh my goodness, the, the families and the patients that have been uh, positively affected yeah. by that. What That's just wonderful. And if you've got time, I'd love to share a story with oh, you. Oh, please. One of our elderly patients who was in his mid eighties wanted to, when he heard that we were going to be taking some patients to actually called and wanted to go to camp. And I was a little skeptical at the time because of his age and he had, well, we let him register and sign and his doctor said, yeah, he will really enjoy himself. I'm glad he wants to go. Of course, his family was a little skeptical because they yeah. said that he doesn't really do anything at home but sit in his chair all day. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, he came to camp, and the campsite that we were going to be going to offered many, many wonderful activities, boating, and the other activities was horseback riding. Well, his Mr. Joe was the first person who signed up for horseback riding. <laughs> so, so I very casually walked over to him and I said, Mr. Joe, I see that you've signed up for horseback riding tomorrow. He goes, I am so excited. And he said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but growing up, my family could not afford to ever send me and my siblings to camp. So I feel so blessed to have I finally get to go to camp at my age. Oh my goodness. Well, then of course my antenna was raised even higher. And I said, well, Mr. Joe, can I ask a question? 
have you ever ridden a horse? And he said, <laughs> no, and I can't ride a horse tomorrow. And I said, Mr. Joe, I hate to tell you this, but our insurance is not that good. Horses don't come with seat belts. Well, I, I want you to know that not only did he have the biggest smile on his face while riding that horse, he signed up for horseback riding both days. Oh, how funny is that? He went from sitting in his chair to riding a horse. Oh, how yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. And the other, the other one, and I call them little miracles that occurred at camp. One of the husbands wrote me a note and told me that his wife was coming to camp, but for us not to belabor too hard on her, that she doesn't do much but sit and she doesn't eat very much. Well, at the last day of camp, when he came to pick her up, I pulled him aside and I said, I have to tell you something. Your wife did not miss any of our activities. And not only did she eat every meal, she ate snacks in between every meal. And he said, she said, she we're at home she's lost so much weight and I said well she's been with us for two or three days now I bet she's gained at least 10 pounds <laughs> oh oh just getting folks out of their environment do you think that's what it is I do and the other wonderful dynamic that was not a planned dynamic for this project for Camp Bluebird it also provides respite for the families yes they get yes. they get to have break. I've had families call me in advance of our camps and they'd say, well, you know, taking care of him or taking care of her is like my job. What do you want me to do for the next three days? And I've told many people very jokingly, yeah. do something for yourself. I said, I, when I see you bringing him or her to the clinic, you look exhausted go get a makeover, go get a hair done, go get your nails done, go do something fun for you, go visit with your friends, go to lunch. So we know that there are some other wonderful positive aspects just for our when a camper comes to camp. That is, that's wonderful. Now, it, is this year, are y'all going to be able to go back to a full overnight camp or are y'all going to do something more yeah. abbreviated this year? Well, we're so excited. We are planning to go full steam ahead this fall. Oh, wonderful. Tell me about, yeah. um, tell me the dates and how would, if someone's listening to this and, and they want to apply to go or maybe have a family member, how, what's the process for that? Is it a smaller group this year? Are you guys limiting it since we're just kind of coming back? No, we have, been blessed with a wonderful campsite in Springville, Alabama, which is only about 45 to 50 minutes from St. Vincent's, that has a wonderful camp facility. In fact, I tell everybody it's not really like camping because it's like staying at the Hilton. Yes. And, <laughs> and everybody has their own, their own bed. We put typically two people in a room but because this facility is so large, we can, if the COVID numbers spike a little bit and we still have camp, 
we will let patients have their own private rooms. Okay. And they, they have their own private bathrooms. And everything is wheelchair accessible. And we have another group of volunteers that come to camp. And we typically have about eight golf carts so that if patients cannot navigate too well the terrain, yeah. we have golf carts that will take them to and from wherever they need to go. The thing about our camp is that Camp Bluebird is a free project for all of our campers. And we have partnered with the St. Vincent's Foundation and the Telephone Pioneers to sponsor paying for all of our campers' needs and registration for the two nights and three days. And the last program that I want to mention is our most recent. About six years ago, we wanted to start an art therapy project so that our patients could do something fun just for themselves. And we started having it here at the Bruno Cancer Center once per month. And patients could come and visit with one another. So it was really like a support group because they engaged in great conversations and they were using what we call art therapy as a diversional therapy to engage in great conversation. That's great. And the art project grew from once per month to twice per month. So we now meet the first and third Thursdays of every month. Well, we were on this wonderful, successful bandwagon with all of our projects, especially the art therapy program, when COVID entered our lives. Mm -hmm. And so we had to halt everything. Yes. And the patient started calling me and said, I miss my friends. I really need my art therapy. And one of our patients who had ovarian cancer has a friend that works at the Botanical Gardens in the library, and she told me to give her a call that maybe they had rooms that they could let us use. And I told her very quickly, I used to be on a board member at the Botan Botanical Gardens here in Birmingham, uh -huh. and I know that they have a fee that they charge for one of the rooms. Yes. And she goes, Call my friend anyways, call my friend. So I called the friend and she said, I would love to have you here, but unfortunately because of COVID, we too are closed, but I would love to have y'all here one day. And I said, well, let me just preface everything by telling you, I don't have a budget. Right. So we are not in a position that we can actually rent a room. And she said, not a problem. Well, it was only two days later when she called me back to let me know that they were going to reopen the botanical gardens and that she would love for us to come and meet there. Could I come and visit with her first and she could show me the facility? So when I went over, I was very impressed. I did not know this, but the Birmingham Public Library System also runs the library at the Botanical Gardens. So they are a separate entity space-wise and room-wise from the Botanical Gardens. And she said, let me show you the rooms that y'all can use and I have a surprise for you. Well, she showed me the rooms, then she took me outside. I did not know this, even though I am a former board member, 
that uh -huh. the Botanical Garden Library has on the back side of the building an A-frame that is probably 26 feet tall with ceiling fans, and so it's covered with its own little secret garden oh. and its own and its own little private greenhouse. So thanks to one of our patients who turned me on to calling her friend, we have been meeting at the Botanical Gardens for the last two whole years, even during COVID. If they are interested to join us, we meet the first and third Thursdays. And if the weather's bad, they just move us inside, but typically we're outdoors and it's a beautiful setting and it's very inspirational. Most people will tell me when they hear about our art therapy project that they can't draw stick people, so they probably are not going to come. And I tell them, well, that's wonderful because we don't draw stick people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I would be one of those people. I'm like, mm, I don't, I'm not really artistic, so... <laughs> That, but well, so this this you don't have to be artistic to enjoy this. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. And we don't just draw and paint. We have some people that don't do either. And we have one lady that's a photographer. So she brings her camera. And what other venue would you like to photo photograph except at the botanical gardens? Right. And we have, and we have another gentleman who happens to be a graphic artist and someone gave the art project some shells, some seashells sea that she brought back from North Carolina beaches. And so we have been painting shells. The hospital, St. Vincent's Hospital, has a new administrator who, would, um, who called on us about six months ago and said that where the hospital that he came from had an outdoor picnic area and they started a painted rock garden and he wanted to know if the art therapy group would be interested in helping start that. So for the last six months or so, we've been painting rocks and stones and beautiful shells to put into the garden. It is beautiful. Well, that's just another fun project, a little sideline from what we typically do but it's very therapeutic. It's very positive and uplifting. And there is so much laughter that takes place. We started off meeting from 9.30 until 12.30. But now that we're at the Botanical Gardens, we're not gonna come back to the hospital. We're gonna stay at the gardens. And we meet from 9.30 a.m. until usually about 2.30. Some people that plan it and they block that time on their calendars and they stay the entire time. And then we have some people who are still actively involved in their therapies. So they will come in the morning and leave by lunchtime to come to the hospital to get their treatments in the afternoon. Wonderful. And are all the, if someone wants to do that, um, participate in that particular thing, do they bring anything with them or is that provided? How does that work? We have the availability of both. We were very fortunate. We applied for a grant with Alabama Supply and were, we were awarded $1,500 of art supplies. And we also have some very generous donors and patients and families who have engaged in the art therapy project. 
and they have made contributions as well. So we never tell patients they have to bring their own supplies, but now that some of them want to paint even at home, they bring their own supplies. But if a newcomer is coming to visit, we've got plenty of art supplies for you. If anyone is interested in attending any of the support groups or Camp Bluebird or the Art Therapy Project, they can contact me directly. They can call the Bruno Cancer Center at 205-939-7884 and ask for me, Lewis Joseph, and I'll be glad to tell them the dates and the times for all the meetings. Thank you again for the invitation. Yes, sir. All right. We'll talk soon, Lewis. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Semicolon Club podcast. See you next time.